How many of you guys just feel good this morning? Anybody feel good? You know, that's good. If you do, that's all right. If you don't, hopefully you will by the end of the service today. So grab a seat. We're going to continue our series called Open Doors. And in this series, we are talking about how there are open doors of our life. And the difference between chronos time, or that's the chronological uh, passing of time through seconds and minutes and days and, and weeks and all of those things, that's, that's something all of us experience but then there's another Greek word called kairos, and this word kairos is like an open door time. That there are moments along the timeline where there's these kairos moments where the, the philosophers would call it like a deep time. They didn't really know how to explain these times, but I think one of the ways we can look at it, and we see it all throughout Scripture, all of these kairos moments throughout Scripture it's a time where I believe that there are certain moments in our life and certain open doors in our life where things could happen that can't happen any other, any other way or any other time. And so many times we miss those Kairos moments, what God wants to do. He opens up a door that something special is going to happen if we would, would engage and walk through that. And we saw that in the book of Esther. And one of the most famous passages in all of the book of Esther is Esther chapter 4, verse 14, which says, maybe you've come into the kingdom for such a time as this. How many of you guys have heard that phrase before? For such a time as this. What are they describing? They're describing a kairos time, an open door time. And it kind of went like this. Uh, the king Ahasuerus, he didn't like the other queen. He got rid of her and they had a beauty contest. I'm giving you the summary, right? Okay. He had a beauty contest. Esther wins. Uh, Esther's relative Mordecai instructs her, don't tell anybody that you are a Jew because you are uh, part of the exiles living in Babylon, which is now Persia. Is everybody tracking with me on that? So now they're in a foreign land, and so she becomes queen. And enter the evil villain of the story named Haman, who despises Mordecai, despises the Jewish people, gets the king to write a law to wipe them all out. Of course, the king doesn't know that Esther is a Jew. And Mordecai tells Esther, maybe you've been set up for this moment for such a time as this, but it's going to possibly cost you everything. And if you go and enter into the king's uh, throne room without his permission, the law says you will die unless he's okay with it. And so that's what we're getting ready to see happen right here in Esther chapter 5, verse 1. It says, on the third day, Esther put on her royal robes, and she, here, she, here comes the moment. The such a time as this, the open door, she stood in the inner court of the king's palace in front of the king's quarters while the king was sitting on his royal throne inside the throne room opposite the entrance to the palace. This is the moment that if the king did not want to see her, the law would say, you're done. That's it. And, and she, would have, she would have been taken out and, and executed. And so when the king saw Queen Esther standing in the court, she won favor in his sight. Now, We'll look at that word here in just a minute, but if you study it, it literally means grace. So she won grace. She had grace in the eyes of the king, and he held out to her the golden scepter, which was in his hand. And then Esther approached and touched the tip of the golden scepter, and the king said to her, What is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? It shall be given you even to the half of my kingdom. Have you guys talk about, talk about grace and favor? I mean, he was going to give half. Not, not only is she not dead, but she could get up to half the kingdom. So this word favor literally means grace. In other words, what we're seeing here is that her entering and, and having this moment was not based on who she was, 
But grace meant that she, it was based on who the king was. Come on, can anybody see this in our relationship with God? It's not based on who we are, but it's based on who he is. When she walked in, she received grace, and it wasn't based on what she did. It was based on what the king did by holding out the golden scepter. How many of you guys are thankful that grace has come to us? It's not based on what we have done, but it's based on what he has done. Come on, somebody get excited about that. The grace of God is so good. Now, here's what we have to understand. When we're talking about these kairos moments, these open door moments, it's the grace of God that opens doors. I want you to understand, it is the grace of God that unlocks and opens up doors for us. It's not based on, I don't believe it's based on what we do. I don't believe it's based on us being good. I believe that there are these Kairos moments are moments when God, in his grace, he opens up doors that you couldn't open. And I've told this story before, but when I was a, a teenager, I felt called to be in ministry and called to be a youth pastor, but I didn't have any resume that should get me a job as a youth pastor or to open the door. And in an improbable change of events, I had an opportunity to, uh, to become a youth pastor at a very large church, and they said, give us your resume. Well, how many of you guys know at as a teenager, you don't have a resume, basically, right? So we just made one up. I just, five pages of like, I've lived, you know, I've, I've no people, right? And so like, this is on my resume. Well, long story short, uh, I, I get this position, I get into ministry, and it wasn't, how do you guys know, it wasn't based on what I had done. I really believe it was God's grace applied to the calling of my life that opened up a door I could never open. Because God's grace opens doors. What am I trying to tell you? I'm trying to say that God's grace will open doors that your talent never could. And some of us need to get a hold of that because we are limiting the open doors in our life based on our talent or we are trying to kick down doors based on our talent that God's grace never opened up for us. But God's grace will open doors that your talent never could. And I believe God is opening doors in people's lives. I believe we're in an open door season as the church across the world right now. But I also believe that God is opening up doors in your life. And we have to be sensitive to recognize the open doors that God is opening up. And it's not based on our talent. It's not based on our resume. It's based on his grace. But there's another factor in here. And, and it comes out of Acts chapter 14, verse 27. The apostles are out. They're ministering. They're doing all their stuff, the missionary work. They've been persecuted. They've seen success. They've had a lot of stuff happen. It says, and when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them. And watch this, how he opened a door of faith to, to the Gentiles. Here it is, this moment. God had opened up a door of faith. Let me tell you what an open door of faith is. An open door of faith is simply an opportunity to use your faith. Let me say that again. An open door of faith is simply an opportunity for you to use or exercise your faith. This is key because I think God has opened up doors all around us and so many of us are paralyzed because we don't know what to do next. It's like we expect God's grace to just sweep us through the door. It's like we just expect it's just gonna happen. Like we may even see the open door, but we don't know what to do with it. We don't know what's next. We don't know how to engage with it. We get paralyzed. It's like what will happen after this service because I started to uh, get preparing again and kind of re-engage Saturday afternoon yesterday, knowing going into Saturday night I was going to be preaching uh, last night. So 
preparation, prayer, kind of leading into that. I preach. I sleep in between sermons. I come here and preach first service and then come and then preach here at the second service. And what will happen is the same thing that happens every week after this service. I'll go out and we'll be getting ready to leave. And my wife will ask me, where do you want to eat? And I will say, I don't care. I don't want to think about it. I don't want to make a decision. I've been just thinking all weekend and doing all this stuff. You just decide. How many of you guys are like that? You're like, I don't care. Somebody else pick. All right, let me see your hand. Just hold them up. I want to know who I'm talking to. I don't care. And then how many of you guys, you know exactly where you want to go, and you've already decided, like last week. You already know, and you're planning on it. So then what happens is she will say to me, uh, where do you want to eat? And I'll say, I don't care. And then she'll say, how about here? And I say, I don't want to eat there. (laughs) How many of you guys are like that, right? It's like... And so I have all these options, all these open doors, and I'm not walking through any of them because sometimes we get paralyzed when we have options. It also reminds me of when my dad had some property. I think Jake, my brother Jake, had a horse or something out there. One day I, I went out there and I saw this horse out there. And I was like, I, I bet I could ride that. And so I, and no saddle or anything like that. It's like, well, I've, we're bareback before. It's fine. And so I, I jump up on this horse and we start going around. It's trotting. And we're going just fine. Pretty soon it starts going a little bit faster. And I'm living out my cowboy dreams from my childhood, right? And so I'm, the horse is going. And then all of a sudden the horse just dead stop. And I just kept going, right? And I just literally just ran off of it, you know? And it's like one of those moments where you're wondering, did anybody see this, you know? Is this a safe space now, you know? But I think that's what happens sometimes. It's like, it's like God is still going, but we stopped somewhere. God's opening doors, but somehow we don't know what to do next because we, we know God's grace is good. We know that God is doing things that our talent never could, but we don't know how to engage next. And so what I want to talk about today is how, to, how we do that. And one of the things that we can learn from that is, is found, I discovered, in one of the ways that I prepare messages. And so I'm going to take you real quick behind the scenes to how I prepare messages because there's a truth in it. So take a look. All right, so this is a message preparation day for me. It's Thursday, and one of the things I like to do when I prepare a message is I walk, I pace, and I pray. And you think I pace a lot when going back and forth when I preach. On a message prep day, I will walk, pace, pray, write, pray, walk. I will easily get 10 miles clocked on my phone walking in this room on a message preparation day. I know that sounds shocking, but it's true. I'll get 10 miles and I'm burning a ton of calories. The problem is I'm not going anywhere at all. I like the scenery's not changing. It's, you know, I'm I'm walking around, but nothing's happened. I haven't traveled anywhere. And I think that's a good illustration of where a lot of people are when God opens up a lot of doors. I do believe God's opening doors all the time. His grace opens these doors all the time. The problem is we aren't walking through it because we don't understand. We think that God's grace is going to carry us through the door. The the truth is that God's grace unlocks and opens the doors, but it's our faith obedience that gets us through the doors. I believe on the other side of every door, there's a price, there's an assignment that, that is on the other side of every door that God opens up for us. And the price to get there is our faith obedience. God's grace is so good to be able to open the door, to unlock the door. But it doesn't matter how many doors are unlocked and how many doors are open if we don't have the faith obedience to walk through it. So it's time, I believe, for some of us to not just experience God's grace. God's grace is amazing. But in order to go through the the doors that God opens up, 
we have to have some faith obedience. Let's start walking through some doors. How many of you guys know it's time to walk through some doors, right? Okay. But, but here's, here's the thing about faith obedience that most of us don't realize. And mo because most of us miss the doors that God has opened. We're looking for the wrong doors. And let me just tell you, and I'm going to share, share some things about faith obedience. And the first thing is this. Little acts of obedience prepare you for big acts of obedience. So some of us, we may, we may be looking at the wrong door. Little acts of obedience prepare you for big acts of obedience. Watch what happens here. If we look at a little piece of the story that maybe you haven't paid attention to. It's in Esther chapter 2, verse 7. It says, he, that's Mordecai, was bringing up Hadassah, that, that's Esther, the daughter of his uncle, for she had neither father nor mother. The young woman had a beautiful figure and was lovely to look at. And when her, watch this, when her father and her mother died, Mordecai took her as his own daughter. See, the story of Esther, as much as it's a story about Esther's big stage obedience, like the big moment on this big stage, it's equally a story of Mordecai's behind the scenes obedience. And as much as this is a story about Esther's obedience to save a nation, it's as much a story about Mordecai's obedience to save an orphan. Because Esther was an orphan. And Mordecai, in this moment, makes a decision that no one probably took note of. No one, and, and I'm not saying it was a little decision, because it was a huge decision. I'm sure it disrupted his life and his plan and all of these things and rearranged things. It was, but no one in that moment would have connected this decision behind the scenes with the big stage moment. And yet they were all connected. Because little acts of obedience come before big acts of obedience. And that's why I say, and I love that statement by Andy Stanley who says, Your biggest contribution to the kingdom of God may not be something you do, but someone you raise. Listen, some of you guys right now are raising your contribution to the kingdom of God. Not that you don't have value, but that God is in what you're doing and you just can't see it yet because it's a behind the scenes moment. Somebody needs to get a hold of that today because somebody is discouraged right now and thinking that no one is seeing what's happening and, and what I'm doing doesn't matter. But listen, there's a principle of God here that little acts of obedience come before big acts of obedience and that the behind the scenes acts of obedience are just as important as the big stage acts of obedience. And here's what, the way it works with God. God asks for 100%, whether it's a little act of obedience or a big act of obedience. And I think a lot of us, we say, God, if you will give me a big door to walk through, I'll give you 100%. But here's what I know about God and here's what I know about Scripture. I believe that God entrusts with us the big stage to the same degree that we handle the small stage. He will, he will entrust to us with our heart, our attitude, our all-inness, whatever you want to say, to the degree that we steward the little act of obedience behind the scenes that no one will ever see is the same degree that God will give us in measure. How do I know that? Faithful and little, faithful and big. It's all throughout scripture. See, it's the little acts of obedience. And so some of us, we don't see a big door right now. And if you don't see a big door of opportunity, it may not be that God, that God hasn't had an open door for you. It may just be that you're looking at the wrong door. It may be that there's a little door that's, that's ready for you, that's just waiting for you, that you haven't surrendered to yet. And some of those come in small decisions, in unseen times. Some of those little doors happen on the inside of you where God has to get something right on the inside of you before he could ever trust you to have something come through you. 
Little acts of obedience come before big acts of obedience. In a similar fashion, the second thing is this, that today's obedience opens tomorrow's doors. See, sometimes we want an instant exchange, like today, God, if I act, I want this to open. But sometimes we're acting in obedience, and it's for later. It's for something else. At the end of this story in Esther chapter 9, verse 20, it says, And Mordecai recorded these things. All the turnaround had happened. Esther saved the Jews. They, defend, they fight their enemies. They win. Celebration. They sent letters to all the Jews who were in the provinces of King Ahasuerus, both near and far, obliging them to keep the 14th day of the month of Adar and the 15th day of the same year by year. And as the days, basically they created a holiday. They created a, a memory that was going to be celebrated about the relief from their enemies and their sorrow into gladness and from mourning into a holiday. And they should make this day of feasting and gladness and a day for sending gifts of food to one another and to those who didn't have anything. And here thousands of years later, they still celebrate this moment. Purim, I believe is how it's said. I probably didn't get it right, but they, they celebrate it every single year. They still do that today. And they're celebrating this historic moment. And I think sometimes we think of, to, to really touch back on the little versus large, I think sometimes we, we think of historic moments or history-changing moments are only the big things. But the truth is, you and I are altering history with every decision that we make. Every decision you make today is changing history. Every single decision you make is altering history. And here's the truth. God knows the future, but you and I are creating it. God gives us the free choice to be able to create the future. Just because God knows something's gonna happen does not mean God caused it to happen. We're not robots that God laid out every single thing. See, from our perspective, God gives us the, the option to choose, to live, to, to, to choose all of these things. And today's obedience, it unlocks tomorrow's doors. And here's what I would say. I would say, you know, that obedience creates a chain reaction. Like when you obey, it creates a chain reaction that sets up another thing to happen in the future. But it also sets up something to happen for someone else. Do you realize your obedience affects other people? Your obedience sets up a chain reaction. Your obedience affects tomorrow. Your obedience changes the scenery. Like this week, I'm gonna go out to the mountains. And when I go out to the mountains and I see a mountain, it's like I've gotta get on top of the mountain because I wanna see what's on the other side. Because when I get up there, I, I can see something brand new, right? And if we never obey and move, we'll never see the new thing to be able to see where we're supposed to go next. But we have to do that by faith. Obedience creates a chain reaction. My, my youth pastor, when I was a teenager, before I even met him, I was just a teenager, before he even got the job to be a youth pastor at this, up at St. Joseph, Missouri, he, he tells a story about how he was driving into town to do the interview, and he passed the sign that said St. Joseph, Missouri, and he knew in his heart right then, before anything else happened, that that's where he was supposed to be. So that one little act of surrender and obedience in that moment he became a youth pastor and started the youth ministry, and pretty soon it, it, drew, it attracted this, this young lady named Becca, and then this young guy named Sean, who were teenagers, and they started flirting in the youth group, and pretty soon now there's a bunch of kids. So that's kind of how it works, right? And I could tell you of tons of other obediences and chain reactions that have happened as a result. I mean, you could trace it back to one person's act of obedience, because obedience creates a chain reaction. But do you realize that disobedience 
creates a chain reaction. See, I think sometimes we think of that, that our disobedience is an isolated event. Like our disobedience can happen in a vacuum. Like, yeah, I understand if I obey God, it sets these dominoes into effect, but my disobedience, it just affects me. But the truth is, the reason we have need for the book and the story of Esther is because of one man's disobedience. Because in the story, the villain of the story in Esther chapter three, verse one, it says, and after these things, King Ahasuerus promoted Haman, the Agagite, the son, and so we could trace his lineage all the way back to King Agag. Now, if you, if you have read the scriptures, you might have heard of the story of a guy named King Saul. King Saul was fighting the Amalekites, and he captured all of them, and his instructions were to leave nothing, leave no one alive, because this was not a good situation. And he spared King Agag, and he wasn't supposed to. One day goes by, one night goes by, and Samuel, the prophet, comes and confronts him and says, Saul, you were not supposed to leave anyone alive, and you did. And so Samuel, the prophet, took care of King Agag. (laughs) But some say that the damage was already done because in that one night that he was alive, that he wasn't supposed to be alive, he impregnated a maidservant that continued on the line from which Haman came. Now, some some have some other theories about how that happened, but either way, Haman is connected directly back to King Agag. And you can actually trace Mordecai's lineage all the way back to King Saul. So almost in a great reversal, God comes and seals up the story how it's supposed to be sealed up. But because of one man's disobedience, because of King Saul, years later we have a whole situation where the whole nation of the Jews was threatened because of one person's chain reaction of disobedience. So today's obedience knocks tomorrow's doors, but today's disobedience can actually create tomorrow's problems too. The, the, the third thought about obedience I, I need to share with you in a way that it, it kind of unfolds as I walked through that door in the last video and walked out of the building. So what happens next is going to reveal point three. So take a look. All right, I am somewhere on the outskirts of the City of Liberty, Liberty City Limits. And uh, I've been walking for a few miles now and for quite some time, and I'll tell you why here in just a little bit. But point three is this, that actions and obedience aren't necessarily the same thing. Action is pretty general, but obedience is, is specific. And a lot of times, we know God calls us just to take action, but there's a lot of times when we have open doors that he's calling us to come into obedience which are very specific things. So what I wanna do right now is I wanna give you five wrong questions and five right questions that we should be asking as we're trying to discern different doors that God wants us to go through. And so these are things that I go through uh, sometimes when I'm trying to discern what God is doing and what open doors are there. And so the first, the wrong question is this, have I thought everything through? Now. That's not a bad question and that's not a bad thing to do, but when you're trying to discern what God is doing, the right question is have I prayed everything through? Have I prayed everything through? See, and that's really why I'm out here because God gave me not just an action, but gave me an obedience step. And he's really led me to do a prayer walk around the whole city of Liberty and to claim that. And, and in this time, I mean, we can think everything through and we can try to you know, make great plans and we should do those things. Uh, but I love what Pastor Aaron is doing on Tuesday nights. God led him just to gather a group of people and pray because it's not just about thinking things through. In times like these, we need to pray 
pray things through. And when God gives you opportunities, it's not about thinking it all through. It's about praying things through. And so God has led me to pray around the city because I'm not just a pastor to a church. I believe I'm a pastor to a city. You're not just an ambassador to your neighbors, which you are, but you're also an ambassador to the city. And so it's not about just thinking things through, it's about have you prayed things through? Because thinking things through just leaves you with you and your thoughts, but praying things through helps you have the mind of Christ. All right, so it's not just about thinking things through, that's the wrong question. It's also about praying things through. Have I prayed through everything? All right, wrong question number two is this. Asking God, what do you want me to do next? Now, on the surface, it seems like a good question, and, and we will get to, answering, to asking that question. But before you ever ask that question, I believe there's a question you have to ask before that. And the, the question you need to ask before, what do you want me to do next, is this. What haven't I done that you've already asked me to do? Because a lot of us like to skip a step, don't we? I mean, we want to just move as fast as we can to the place where we want to go. And I'll talk to people all the time, and a lot of people will say, I don't feel like God, I mean, I'm asking God what to do, and he's not telling me. I'm asking God what to do, and I'm not hearing. I feel disconnected from God. And so then I'll ask them, well, is there anything that God has already asked you to do that you've left undone? And they'll lay it all out. And I, well, why haven't you done it? Because <laughs> I'd just like to get to the next step. See, that's where so many of us are. We we want to know what God wants to do next, but we'd like to skip a step. And if you skip a step, like if you're baking a cake and you skip a step or you lose, leave out an ingredient, how many of you guys know people probably aren't going to eat it too well, right? It's not going to go well. And the same is true in our life. If we, if we skip a step, we're going to miss something important from God. All right, I'll try to move quickly through these. Third wrong question is this. Is the path clear? Is the path open? Is it a paved path? Here's what I see a lot of Christians do, especially in the United States uh, and just in the church world I've been around. We begin to try to discern the will of God through the path of least resistance. So what we do is we'll pray prayers like, God, if it be your will. Lord, and we have all these job opportunities and we say, God, I don't know which one's right, but if it's your will for me to get this job, then let me get it. And if it's not your will, then I'll just assume that I didn't get it. And that's kind of how we pray prayers. And, and we try to seek God through the path of least resistance. And we are looking for open doors. And so how we determine that God has opened the doors, we'll look at it and we'll say, well, this one looks like it's a clear path. God must have paved the way. And I see so many people being led around trying to find the will of God by the easiest path available and then attributing that to God doing it. But that's not what the scriptures teach us. That's not what every open door looks like. That's not what, what we see in the Bible. In fact, and I've taught this many times, but it's so important that we get this. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 8, it says, this is Paul, and he says, but I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost. Watch this. For a wide open door of effective work has opened to me. He has a wide open door of effective work. How many of you guys want a wide open door of effective work? You guys are already reading ahead, though, I know. And so you know what's coming next. And it says, and there are many adversaries. You see, if most of us today were trying to discern God's will and find the open door, we never would have picked Ephesus because it's not clear. God must not be paving the way there. There's too much resistance. We re-equate re resistance with the enemy, and sometimes it's just, a, just an opportunity. 
See, many times open doors come disguised as opposition. Many times open doors come disguised as persecution. Many times open doors come disguised even sometimes as disappointments, sometimes as failure, sometimes as delay. And so the right question is not, is the path clear? But the right question is, is this path from God? And there's no shortcut to trying to discern that except for getting with God. And what I'm saying is if you go by the path of least resistance type approach, you will end up having a nice, easy, comfortable life. And you'll ask one day, well, how come I'm not on God's path? You'll look back in the rearview mirror and you'll say, well, yeah, life's good, but it doesn't feel, I don't feel fulfilled. I feel like I missed it somewhere. I feel like I didn't go where I was supposed to go. I didn't, didn't take the chance that I needed to take. I didn't walk through the door I needed to walk through. Because we go by the path of least resistance Christianity, and many times that's not God's open door. All right, number four, let me move on. Wrong question is this. Do other people think this is wise? Now, the Bible tells us to seek counsel, right? I mean, we are to seek counsel. We're to seek wisdom. We're to seek uh, people in our life. And so this sounds like a great question. Do other people think this is wise? But here's why this is not a great question to ask. You can find anybody to agree with your stupidity. <laughs> and here's what I see a lot of people do. They figure out what they want to do in life and they surround them, themselves with people who will affirm it. And so we end up in an echo chamber of people who are telling us what we want to hear and we call it seeking out wise counsel. The right question is this, do the right people think this is wise? Not just do other people think this is wise, but do the right people think this is wise? Well, who are the right people? You gotta find people in your life who have a proven track record. You gotta find people in your life who love Jesus and have fruit to show for it. You have to find people in your life. I talked a few months ago about trailblazers, people who have been where you're going and they're ahead and they're calling back and they're saying, watch out for this, look out for that, do this, don't do that. But you also have to find truth carriers, these truth carriers are people who maybe aren't in your same lane, but they do carry ancient wisdom from Scripture. They do have transferable wisdom. They do have a relationship with God, and you know it. They do care about you, and you know it. See, and so what I find is a lot of people end up surrounding themselves with what they want to hear and then say it's wise counsel. So what am I saying? I'm saying don't seek out bitter people to try to figure out how to have unity. Here's what I've noticed. Gossip seem to gather. Negative people seem to gather. Positive people seem to gather. Bitter people seem to gather. Unless you're intentional about it. And so if all you have is a bunch of negative gossip, bitter people around you, you've either attracted them or you're attracted to them. It's only when you get intentional about who you surround yourself with that you ever will grow. So, so don't, don't seek out somebody with a bad marriage to give you advice on yours. And I see that happen all the time. Well, they've been through what I've been through. And well, how about you find somebody who is loving their wife, loving their husband, loving Jesus and going strong and ask them what to do. See, that's right. That's right people. Okay. That's, that's finding the right people. Don't seek out somebody who seems to always live in fear and have them coach you on how to live the life of faith. And a lot of people, well, you know, so that's a good point. Well, how about you find somebody who is faith-filled, who loves Jesus, who's willing to dare and risk for God, who's following after Scripture, and go say, no matter how hard it is, no matter, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hang around those people. 
What I'm saying is don't get an armchair quarterback to tell you how to throw the football. Find somebody who's done it. Find somebody who's, who's proven themselves. Find somebody in your life who you know loves you, cares about you, loves Jesus, lo- gives uh, God everything, and loves you enough to tell you the hard things that they know will even hurt when they say it. See, as we're looking at this story of Esther and we're looking at types and shadows, last week I talked about how Esther could be looked at as a type of Christ. She was willing to lay down her life for all the other people. But if we want to lay that lens over Mordecai, we could look at Mordecai as a type of the Holy Spirit. Because all along, Mordecai is constantly whispering in her ear. He is constantly doing things behind the scenes. He's constantly counseling, guiding, leading. That's a right voice in the natural and the spiritual. Not do other people think this is wise, but do the right people think this is wise. And here's what the problem is. Most of us, if we're honest with ourselves, and I'm I'm here, I've, I've been here too. We're afraid to expose our situation to the right people because we're afraid they're gonna tell us something we don't wanna hear. So we surround ourselves with people who will affirm it, who will put their stamp on it, and we can ignore the rest. That's not how God operates. That's not how you're gonna get through an open door the way God has. All right, fifth question, then we gotta... Be done. Wrong question is this. Am I able? Here's the truth. God does equip us for whatever he's called us to do. Do you know that the church, no matter what's happening on the planet right now and all the disruption and all the chaos, do you realize that the church is able to handle it? The church's light has not, is not gonna be blown out. Jesus himself said that, nothing, that the gates of hell cannot prevail against the church. The church is able. Here's the right question, though. Am I willing? Because you may be able, but you just may not be willing. The church is able, but is the church willing? And even where you're not able, God will supply what you lack. That's our, our part is to supply the willing. God's part supplies the able. We we say yes to God. He fills in the rest. Wrong question is, am I able? Right question is, am I willing? I want to have the worship team come back up as we get ready to come in for a landing here. Because here's what I want you to know, and this is very important as we close up, and we're talking about faith obedience. You can even settle it in your heart. Okay, I'm able. Okay, God's going to supply where I lack. You can settle that in your heart and still talk yourself out of the willing. And you can come up with all these reasons why the willing doesn't make sense. You can talk yourself out of all, you can settle the able and talk yourself out of the willing. Those of you guys in the second auditorium or those guys watching online right now, listen, some of you guys are able, but you forfeited the willing. You're able, but you've surrendered engagement with God. You've, you've You've taken this as a time to coast instead of engage, and you're able, you're well able, but you've surrendered the willing. We have to get back to that. Now, let me just wrap up with this story. My youngest daughter, Lindsay, when she was really young and she was still having trouble with her words and trying to talk and stuff, uh, we, for some reason as a family, we had this, this conversation kind of started and, and uh, we started to, somebody said, I dare you, I dare you. See, some of you guys just need to dare. Yeah, I'm just, I just dare you right now to let your willing come before God with no, with no attachments to it. Some of you guys need to just say, God, I'm totally willing, and I surrender that. And we were, we're having this conversation, and 
And somebody said, well, I dare you to do this or whatever it was. And then somebody came along with the, well, I double dog dare you, right? So the ante got upped, right? And then through the course of time, somebody came along and of course brought out what? The triple dog dare. And Lindsay being young and not really knowing what to do, she said, she, she wanted to engage and she said, well, I fourful dog dare you. And so that's been a saying in our family ever since. I fourful dog dare you. And the fourful dog dare, it negates any other type of dare. You cannot, the fourful dog dare is the dare of all dares. And so today, what I'm saying, some of you guys have an open door. Some of you guys have the ability that God is supplying. And, and you just, you've been able, but you just haven't been willing. And right now, if I could just fourful dog dare you, if I could just fourful dog dare you right now, to be willing no matter how able you feel. Some of you guys need to have some faith obedience rise up. See, God's grace has already laid the foundation. But God's grace isn't gonna sweep you through all the way to the finish line. God wants to partner with us. You can hang out in God's grace and it's wonderful. But then there comes a point when God's grace has opened the door that you have to say, all right, I'm willing. I walk through the door. What's interesting as we close up and we, we think about God's grace is Haman was trying to hang Mordecai on, on a tree of some sort and it didn't, it fell apart because, because Mordecai was an innocent man. They weren't gonna hang an innocent man but how many of you guys know years later what happened on a tree is that Jesus as an innocent man was hanged on a tree for our sins. And he paid the price for our sins. He rose from the dead for us to receive grace, not just to leave us where we are, but to give us a, an opportunity to go further, to move with him, to follow him. And so I just wanna leave you with that thought that for some of you right now, you don't have an open door and you, you're just in a waiting season and that's fine. For some of you guys, you need to look back and say, what has God already asked me to do that I've left undone? For some of us, we need to look. We're looking for the big door, but he's giving us a little door. For some of us, there's a wide door of effective work opened up to us. And we are well able, but we've surrendered our willing. We've talked ourselves out of the willing. And I just, I fourfold dog dare you. What if you could just say, God, here's my I'm willing, no matter how able I feel. Would you guys stand up with me? Can we bow our heads and close our eyes? I always love just to give the Holy Spirit just a moment to work in our heart. And sometimes if we create space, he speaks to us in a time like this. Holy Spirit, speak to us right now. Reveal things, confirm things. Nudge us forward. Pull the curtain back. on, if Holy Spirit's speaking anything to you right now, don't think of that as a small thing. He knew you'd be here right now in this moment. Knew I'd preach this message. And, and if you're anything like me, whenever God speaks to me, I treasure it. And I, even if it hurts, even if it's hard, even if it's what I didn't want to hear. Holy Spirit, we receive any conviction, any encouragement, any correction, any direction. Right now, we just 
We surrender to you our I'm willing. And God, we say, we're willing. We offer it up as a sacrifice to you. It's a sacrifice of our life. It's a sacrifice of our intentions. It's a sacrifice of our heart. It's a sacrifice of our dreams, our hopes, our plans. And we surrender to you right now in Jesus' name.